Hey everyone, I'm Brian Conley of Hunters HD Gold, and you're listening to Season 2 of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. This podcast takes a deep dive into what it takes to be a match director, manufacturer, sponsored shooter, or just an everyday shooter trying to win his or her first major. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. Welcome back to another episode of Hunter's HD Go Behind the Lens. Today I'm sitting down with a multinational championship winning son of a gun named Mason Lane. Mason, how you doing? Excellent, Brian. How are you? Man, doing great. I've um, watched you win a lot. I've watched you do things with one arm. I've watched you do things with two hands when you're shooting. It's just um, you've, you've done a lot. But when did it start? Sh- when did you even start shooting? When did, what does that look like? Started competing in uh, 2013. Started getting into shooting and competition shooting around 2012. Started kind of taking taking it seriously and training a little bit more around 2013. So, so that's the first time you picked up a gun? No, no, no. I've been, been involved with guns and, you know, BB guns and rapidly progressed into handguns when I was much, much younger, say six or seven years old. My cool. uh, my, my dad was in law enforcement, was an outdoorsman. Okay. So he was always, you know, around firearms. He was a, a firearms instructor in his PD. So it was, it was shooting and, and outdoorsmanship was always kind of a thing okay. uh, in the family in general. So when you wanted to go hunting with him at a young age, was that something you did? Yeah. Early? Yeah, yeah. He was a big into waterfowl hunting. He liked it quite a bit. It's not a huge scene in New England. There's not, there's really only like residential birds. There's not the huge flyways or anything, but it was always something he enjoyed doing. So we went quite a bit. That's cool. When do you remember, um, do you, going hunting with them like with besides birds did you ever go deer hunting or anything up no, there no I, no I, I don't think we ever went deer hunting at all it just wasn't something he was super into he mm-hmm. was actually due to his position within the department he would get roadkill deer like if like two or three in the morning someone clipped the deer on you know within town he'd get a call he'd get first dibs on it if it was in decent shape <laughs> so he always had more or less unlimited access to venison so he never never went hunting <laughs> oh nice yeah. that makes a very good sense yeah. there so so guns were always a part of the family growing up and stuff that's yes. pretty cool so what kind of what your competitive side now what what kind of sports did you do in high school uh none so i was uh i got into scouting at a pretty young age oh when i was in second or third grade or so right and i took that really seriously all the way clean through you know the beginning of high school right uh what got my eagle scout and some bet palms all those that sort the whole thing went through is pursued that pretty aggressively and when i got out of that was when i started to get into shooting wow so when you were doing scouting and stuff when you were i guess doing bb rifles back then yeah stuff like yeah that. so they went at the younger kids will do bb guns and archery and all that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. did a little bit of rifle shooting and shotgun shooting and stuff through scouting and uh when i was getting me and all my peers that were in my immediate year or my immediate friend group started to get kind of older in the troop you know we'd all kind of done what we wanted to we we're sick of the leadership positions teaching kids how to apply band-aids and stuff like that mm-hmm. we started a, a a youth group focused on shooting specifically where we did some steel challenge they used to have scholastic steel challenge mm-hmm. uh, through uspsa and they have the the sas program that cropped up right around the time we were getting started with that so that was what helped segue we segue me into competing and in, in shooting did you do a lot with um the single the, the sat the sas a little bit yeah it was uh we did probably i was involved with it for probably three maybe four years Did you have a was, team in the area from yeah yeah, yeah oh, it was cool. a crew 556 which still operates as a 4h uh, team out of new hampshire right so that's kind of where everything got started for you was mm-hmm. steel challenge what where, where did the competitive you know competitives come from i don't know it was uh as just in terms of my nature you mean mm-hmm. uh it was one of those things that was always you know my folks pushed me pretty hard to be driven to do whatever i was going to do mm-hmm. they didn't push me to be like an amazing uh athlete or an amazing even an amazing student but they always wanted me to have at least one thing that i was putting 100 percent energy into 
Uh, and so they kind of instilled in, in me, like, if you're going to do something and you're going to be passionate about it, you're going to do it as well as you possibly can. Right. And that was something that even when I was in scouting, it was like, a you know, scouting isn't an inherently competitive thing by nature, but I like, I wanted to be the best scout that there was in terms of, so I, I was pursue rank advancement really fast. I was really diligent about doing my paperwork and, you know, all the, all that kind of stuff so that mm-hmm. I could get through it as fast as possible. And I got through the whole rank system really quickly just because I wanted to outpace all my peers. I knew I wouldn't want to do it when I was, as I was older as much well, once I was had access to cars or whatever else you want to do when well, you're in high school. Exactly. Cause some of that at some point becomes team efforts as well. Yes, absolutely. Through that process. So you, from going to the team atmosphere to, own your own like that was that a big changeover or what would that look like it it was a little bit i mean all the stuff that you do like as a unit in scouting or at Mm -hmm. least you know our our troop that we had was very we had a a good crew of leadership that was all involved with either law enforcement or you know they were uh just sort of leaders in the community and they were good about cultivating a a a community where the kids really were the ones that were in charge okay you know it wasn't lord of the flies like the the parents and all the adult leadership was vetted very strictly and they were there to kind of sort of keep the train on the tracks but Mm -hmm. anything we wanted to do was directed very much by the kids okay so anything that we did as a unit was very much driven by us and it was there was a lot of leadership opportunities to sort of grow for the kids there but any of the rank advancement was very hands-off it was anything that we wanted to do was driven you know by yourself there's no not a lot of opportunity not a lot of opportunity that's the wrong word but not a lot of uh incentive or drive or um you know fettering kids along like through the rank advancement process that was on us was there a process that you remember that was kind of shot down by the by the by the leaders no 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 not at all they were they were super supportive uh anything we want to do like they would enable us to do it and give us the information we needed to Mm -hmm. but uh it's it was it was great in the sense that the the boy-led leadership as they call it and it it tees up a lot of opportunities for kids to fail in a very safe way right you know like the worst thing you're going to do is be cold and hungry for two or three days at a time (laughs) which is a good (laughs) learning i mean it's it's a good learning experience really (laughs) we got all this food to start with but we ate it in the first day we got two more days to go Yep. Or, you know, you learn about rationing real quick. Yeah. Tim didn't clean dishes, you know, before the outing last week. So now we have nothing to cook on or, you know, whatever the case is. Right. You know. So through that entire process of being an Eagle Scout, congratulations. Thank you. I, I thought that, I, that's not an easy thing to do. And, and especially in today's world, you don't see much of that much at all. But, you know, do you see that being a process of, you know, what made you who you are? Because so many people grow up where they have, you know, they may grow up in a church with their family. They may grow up in a, um, or the Eagle Scouts or the, the Scouts as a family. You know, do you feel that you owe a lot of your, you know, who you are because of that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, scouting teaches kids really early on how to interact with a professional way with in a professional way with, with adults while they're kids. You know, okay. it, it enables people to talk to adults to perform in, in an interview like this or, mm-hmm. you know, in, in front of a whole board of people that you're supposed to be impressing. So, I mean, in terms of how to be professional, how to op- operate, you know, respectfully and, mm-hmm. uh, and operate yourself in a professional manner, definitely. Uh, between scouting and shooting, I mean, I've, I've gotten a lot of blot out of how to operate as a person. Nice. How did that roll into high school for you? Uh, it was, it was good. I mean, the scouting pretty much was phased out as I came into high school. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I correctly predicted that I wouldn't want to continue doing it through my entire high school, right. you know, through all the, as I came to be, I was able to look on at, at it early on and see kids that were 16, 17, eight years, 18 years old that were 
they had a, a car and they didn't really want to be there. They were sick of doing the whole scouting thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be that guy. So I pursued it really aggressively to get done with it quickly. Also uh, known as burnout, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's easy to do. Yeah, it's, of course. it's very easy to do. You, right. you get, you're teaching the same basic set of skills to kids for you know years on end. So right. I, I, I was more into shooting. By the time I was a sophomore in high school, shooting was a primary thing for me. Well, cool. What state was all this in? New Hampshire. I'm so from, from New Hampshire. So a lot of problems in New Hampshire with guns and stuff, or was that no, pretty much an easy thing? That's kind of a, a misconception, I think, for a lot of people in the country. New okay. Hampshire and New Hampshire and Maine in particular, to some degree, Vermont are sort of the bastion of where the Second Amendment still does fairly well in okay. New England. Obviously, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, all those states that everyone's familiar with. It's not so friendly. Right. But uh, a huge part of the shooting scene when I got started and even still is in in Massachusetts and in Connecticut and New England. Okay. Do you, um, so you went from doing steel challenge Mm -hmm. stuff like did you do a lot in steel challenge yeah i mean we took it pretty seriously when we trained as a team we trained every single thursday and then i would i did a little bit on my own as well and uh that was that was something we did pretty religiously for a good two or three years okay and did you ever you know when you when you found out about you know moving and shooting did that kind of change the yeah that that's the, the whole sh- thing the shine fell off the apple once <laughs> once I realized there was more dynamic sports that we could do so right. our, our first exposure to it was uh the, the AMU uh, to my knowledge I don't do it anymore but they used to run a junior uh junior clinic where all basically all the the, the action team unit members would operate a junior clinic that was at its peak, like 30 or 40 kids deep. Wow. And they do two or three days of training down at Fort Bending at their range there. Mm-hmm. And so that was our first exposure to, you know, dynamic shooting or practical shooting. Uh, and the second we came back from that, I knew it was something I wanted to take seriously. What'd so, your dad say? Oh, uh, he was, I mean, he was all about it. Like did, he was, that, was, he, he? he was amazed because he had never seen anyone shoot on that level. Did he go know? down there with you or are you going on your own? Yeah, they, it was, he was, him and my mom were both involved in, in the crew oh, wow. that sent us down there. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. So when you get into, you know, I remember the first time I got involved with, um, the steel challenge, you know, how I got started. Then all of a sudden, you know, it all went to, you know, running and gunning it mm-hmm. at the at Mississippi classic. The first time I saw it, I was like. What in the world is yep. happening here? So that, you know, when you, when you embraced it like that, did, when you came back, what did that look like to get everything started to move over? Was there a lot of clubs in your area? Yeah. So that was one of the bigger challenges at first was the, uh, the USPSA scene in New, New Hampshire specifically was, was literally did not exist when I, when I first started back in 2012, there was no USPSA clubs in New Hampshire. Really? We had to venture down into Massachusetts and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So that was the first order of business was starting to go and shoot more like larger level IDPA matches and stuff like that, which I was really involved when, when when I first started. And as the USPSA scene, you know, we kind of figured out where it was at, first of all, and started to get more involved with it. That became the primary thing. So you did IDPA as well? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. A, a lot in the beginning. So oh, that, wow. was that, that operated out of our local club where we did the steel challenge. Okay. Was, well. was that indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. All outdoors then? Yep. Wow. So based on being where you're at, your shooting season at a young age was Unless you did, did you travel a lot at that young age? A little bit. I mean, uh, the second I, it started to become clear to my folks that it was something that I could be good at or that I was taking seriously, they supported me as much as I wanted to go. So I started traveling more and more. Okay. So IDPA to begin with. Yeah. I didn't travel much for IDPA. I mean, I shot that mostly on a club level, but especially mm-hmm. once I started to get into shooting USPSA, definitely. So they were one of your first sponsors, I take it. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They rolled a, a big dice by enabling me to do it for a very long time on their dime. Right. Does um, your, your dad being a police officer, and, and being in that kind of um, environment at that age was, you know, did he see the advantage? Did he do anything with you to get better himself? 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he he liked doing the sports shooting thing too. And he was the chief. He he used to basically sponsor his guys to go out to the matches. He'd say, "I'll pay. You know, we have the ability to pay for ammo, we'll pay for your match fee, but I can't pay you to be there. I can't pay your salary while you're out there. Right. But we'll make it free for you to go." And you know, he had exceptionally few people take him up on that. Wow. And uh, so he was, you know, refreshed to see that the scene was still doing well. And we shot steel challenge matches here and there from the time I was real young. Uh, up until we started the crew as well. Do you ever think about going to law enforcement yourself? Yeah, I mean, it was all I wanted to do until I was, you know, midway through high school and I kind of real took a more realistic uh, view of of the law enforcement scene at large and realized it wasn't going well. I actually started take, taking college classes in uh, criminal justice and realized it wasn't for me. What what made it really... What was the light bulb that switched that said, oh, got to go? The main thing with the criminal justice degree was mm -hmm. realizing you don't need one to be a cop, a, right. a CJ degree specifically. And right. it's not really good for that much else. So I, okay. I tried to switch to get towards a different collegiate track. And, you know, around that time, I just realized it was not what I wanted to do necessarily. Wow. Now, you, what did you finish up in college as? Yeah, psychology major. Psychology? Even, even more a uh, universal degree. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a whole other subject. <laughs> do... Um, with with psychology and what you see today in the in the shooting and how everything works, do you think that's helped with your mental game? Yeah, definitely. It certainly helped me, uh, and it's it made me well going through college. I mean, I turned into a much better student through the process of going to college. I realized I had to apply myself for the first time academically, which was good just in the sense to learn how to study and organize thoughts. Which I consequently started writing down, writing down a lot more of my ideas about shooting, which was mm -hmm. a good thing. Uh, so it helped me in my own, and it definitely helped me a lot when I started my business too, doing doing more instructing and understanding how other people learn and the way they think about stuff. Do you get in the psychology of shooting when you do your classes? Uh, not so much in classes, but I mean, it's not that's not the sort of thing where I'll do like a seminar on the mental game before mm -hmm. it's called for. But if anyone has any questions for me about it, or if I can tell someone is struggling with some kind of a block, because you, know, you can identify that. Yeah, that's feedback that you can give someone when they need it. But I'll I don't really. That. You need to go see this guy. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So, when everything started shooting for you, and it started getting, you know, you know, you started seeing your ranks change. You know, when did it really start popping for you that this is something you wanted to pursue? Because um, there's so many things that, you know, everybody can get into this. Your parents help sponsor you. Everything mm -hmm. happens. And you may have a little help here and there. But it, yep. at a point, this becomes very expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Like extremely expensive. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I was a couple things. You know, I was always really smart about setting goals that were far enough out that it felt like something significant when I accomplished them. But not so far that it was impossible to achieve. And uh, the other thing is, you know, with the support that I had, I, I had the support of my folks, you know, absolutely from the time I was young in the sport. And shortly thereafter, through like a series of friends and just being in the right place at the right time, I got support from the Sig Sauer Academy, who's in New Hampshire. It's okay. a division of Sig Sauer. Okay. And uh, they helped me out. They made it essentially free for me to train as much as I wanted to. All I needed a, was a way to get there. Wow. So, I mean, from that point, it's, I was... I was already enjoying and taking it seriously. I was like B class or so, you know, as a junior shooter at that time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to justify the decision they made, you know, but the, the energy that put me put they put into me uh, by, you know, doing well and making them not regret it, essentially. Do you so, ever think uh, about going to work for SIG being so close? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I did work there for a little while. Oh, did you really? Yeah. I taught some classes there. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. but, but actually being an employee of SIG. Yeah. But, I mean, so certainly that, that too. Was there any, no, no future there as far as what you thought you wanted to get into to selling guns or anything or just kind of like what that look like just by teaching it's one of those things where by the time i was entering the workforce i was pretty certain i wanted to pursue the instructing business as much as i possibly could oh really you know by the time i graduated i started the business just before i graduated college and i was pretty sure it was what i wanted to do at least for the next five to ten years which is still the case presently and uh that the way that i'm doing what i do now doesn't fit into you know that 
perfectly. You know, mm-hmm. teaching is still something that we're, we're talking about doing more and more through the academy. When was the flip about teaching, though? Because you, what you would, was that just from the scouts thing, you think? Yeah, there, I mean, that was an element of it. And you learn how to teach concepts and how to impart, you know, the same ideas you have through scouting, definitely. But it was uh, it was around. I had a lot of requests for people to ask me to teach classes or to do lessons or whatever the case may be mm-hmm. from the time I was probably 17. OK, and I brushed them off for a really long time until I was, you know, halfway or so through college and realized, hey, you know, this could be a revenue stream that I'm kind of leaving on the table. And uh, I didn't realize at the time, but I, I ended up appreciating it way more just for how much I, I learned about myself and about shooting in general from doing it. Anybody in the family teachers or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, my dad uh, was a, a firearms instructor okay. through, through okay. his department. And he okay. uh, he was um, involved with, you know, as a mentor with a lot of the scouting stuff. So he taught some of the different, you know, uh, rank advancement lessons about specific skills and stuff like that. Yeah, because there's a lot of things going on in the teaching and education that is... Just because you can shoot, just because you have, you know, I hope I don't upset anybody, but, you know, just because you have all these championships don't mean you can be a teacher because you have to be able to get in there and identify Mm -hmm. what you do through psychology (laughs) to see when somebody like glazing over Mm -hmm. and they're not paying attention because you, you lost them. Right. You have to be able to identify that as a teacher. Yeah. And I mean, I know definitely I found it's it's not just being able to read the read a person and see if they're ready to receive information, but right. it's figuring out pres- the most concise way to deliver what they need to know or hear yeah. uh, the more exactly amount of unit of coaching they need. Right. And get it as small and palatable and swallowable as possible so that they, they don't zone out. Yeah, because that's one thing about me. I've been in retail management 20 plus years, but. I can't write a book and teach about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's well, just yeah, of course. It's something I can I can show people mm-hmm. and you can learn off osmosis all you want to. Right. But I just can't, you know, you can't there's some things I just I can't teach. Mm-hmm. But I've got that plenty of experience. I can yes. make anybody money. But when it comes down to being able to teach that skill, I just don't I know I don't have that craft. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Did you ever, you know, you made a comment earlier about, you know, sometimes when you like wasn't really sure with the teaching thing where it was going to be, you know, what, what kind of pushback did you get when you first started teaching? Was there situations where you like, Oh, that didn't work out. You know what that looked like as far as how you overcame those objections. Certainly. When I first started, I was, I took small bites. You know, I I started doing private lessons for just individuals that would hit me up uh, in the new New England area. Mm -hmm. And uh, I learned a lot about it. Like really quickly, I realized that I had to get way more concise with the way that I delivered information. I had Mm -hmm. to be much more restrained about wanting to fix everything a person is doing wrong at a time. Right. So uh, certainly the first handful of clients I had, they probably thought I was a complete soup sandwich, just like had no idea how, or how to organize an idea. And right. to some extent, certainly they were right. Right. And uh, you get better at over time over realizing what people, the important stuff is that people need to hear, figuring out what the low hanging fruit is, figuring mm-hmm. out how to direct people in the right direction. Was there other trainers that you reached out to for insight? Uh, I would say, yeah, sure. Uh, definitely around the time that I started taking more active interest in studying shooting and starting to become more interested in teaching, uh, mm-hmm. PSTG was starting to become pr- very popular. Who's that? Practical Shooting Training Group. Yes, 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 yes. You know, Ben and Kim and Joel's company there. Very cool. Uh, So I studied a lot of what they did and sort of figured out the way that they break down shooting or the way that they, you know, package lessons. And that was very helpful as well. And I still talk to Ben all the time. He's one of my uh, probably closest confidants when it comes to the specifics of, you know, how to 
bring your best self to a match or how to train yourself or just whatever general issues I have. So yeah, talk I talked to Jake time. Martins after he took that class and wrote about it for mm -hmm. the magazine. And he still, to this day, says that's one of the best classes he recommends people yeah, to he's, take he's for phenomenal. that feedback. Because mm -hmm. Ben, I've, you know, we didn't really get much time to talk about his teaching when I did when I talked to him before. But his classes are just, I've heard, are just really good by some yes. of the people that's taken his classes. Yeah, so. I've taken his class the last two years and I'll be certain to take it again. I recommend did, it to a lot of people. Did you, you know... There is a circuit out there of training mm -hmm. and there, you know, did you feel like you were going to be limited to just your like, kind of a regional thing or were you wanting to travel more like everybody else? Or what was your first thoughts on that? I mean, I, I want to turn it into as, as the, the most viable career that I can, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's obviously still a work in progress to make it into a full time job. I started at, a, at one of the worst times you possibly could with COVID just firing up. I started in, in May of 2019 and I was okay. just barely starting to kind of figure out like my end of it of how to deliver a good product when, you know, COVID kind of jacked everything right. up as far as the supply chain and people's involvement in shooting in general. But yeah, so I'm, I'll travel absolutely anywhere for it. And that's kind of been the case from the onset is trying to grow it as much as I possibly can. That's cool. Cause you've had some, you've had some setbacks with your shooting, like we talked about yes, when, when the podcast absolutely. first started, because, you know, you've heard people, people have probably talked about other podcasts before, but you had an accident with your arm mm -hmm. and then you went into 20, was it 2019? Mm -hmm. Yep. 2019 in Utah where you shot the entire match with pretty much one hand. Yes. How long did you prep before that match, knowing you had to use to reload because you were shooting limited mm -hmm. and you were in a situation where I think, was it limited? It was a uh, CO then production. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So how long did you really practice yourself to do this before you went into that match? Uh, I had, I think I, I don't remember the exact dates, but it was something like three to four weeks of, uh, from the time that I broke my hand, or my wrist or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. uh, to the time that the actual match was, I think I had four something like four weeks and that couldn't have been easy. No. I, I mean, there had, was there, was there, there was some pain involved. Was it there had to be, cause it, it's kind of it like, uh, it's kind of like you're moving your wrist still yeah, but, and it's broken. It, it wasn't that bad. I mean, <laughs> okay. when, I, when at the time I broke it, I didn't, I wasn't convinced it was broken until like, you know, three, four hours later, I still can't like feel or move my fingers. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was, I had to get it operated on. I had to get a screw put in it, but and it hurt obviously, mm -hmm. but you know, day or two of drugs and you're set to go. So we're dry firing on drugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I reached out to some of the people that I talked to a lot, Hwansik in particular. And he's like, if I were you, I'd just figure out how to do basically predictive shooting, how to shoot fast, small groups at close range first, figure out the recoil control. And then from that point, you can kind of figure out the precision shooting to really shoot precisely. Right. And I followed his advice to a T. I did a pile of doubles, you know, to whatever extent my tendons and biceps and whatever would mm -hmm. allow because of the, the, the soreness and shooting with one hand got to be a lot pretty fast. And well, uh, it worked out great. I mean, it was, it was a, a really good experience for me. I learned a lot from it, not just about, obviously I, anytime I encounter strong hand shooting now, it's like, it's a, a no problem. Like I can shoot probably 80% as good with one hand as I can with both. Was there a, was there a weekend stage of that year? Um, to my recollection, remember. no, I think there was actually none. There was, there, was, there was neither one, yeah, no weekend or anything. People were joking around asking me how much I paid to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> what would happen if there would have been a weekend stage? I don't you know. know. Would that just been procedures, I guess? I, I'm assuming it would probably be, you know, some number of procedurals that would be applied to make that happen. Because there was no, there was no making it happen. At the carry optics match, I had a cast. That mm -hmm. was, that was non-op. And then the second right. one I had, I had it braced up, but it was so I could move it, you know, a little bit. But it right. was, that would have been a very bad idea. Yeah. So there wasn't, that just worked out in, in favor because I, I just thought about that. It no weekend stages there. Yep. Wow. That just that really worked Lucky. out because I remember when this I remember when the scores came out, all the podcasts were throwing it out there. Like, how many people just got beat with one yeah. arm? Yeah. It was I didn't have a choice, man. I wanted to qualify for worlds and I was I was I had to do it. So right. And now look, finally going to worlds, right? Mm -hmm. 
holy cow, like just three or four weeks now. <laughs> no, three, four weeks away based on when the pocket. When this drops, you're already there and you've already brought back the gold. So congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank We're you. gonna predict that Pre- right now. <laughs> exactly. I'm I'm proud of what you accomplished. <laughs> Do you know you're you're in a situation where you've taken a hobby mm-hmm. at the beginning. When did it click for you? that this is going to be your sport, you know, cause there is, you know, there's so many, there, there's a click. There's a lot of people that come into the hobby and there's a lot of people that, you know, arguably are running the organization. That's a hobby, mm-hmm. but it's a sport to a lot of people. Absolutely. So when did it become your sport? Do you remember when that happened with you? I mean, probably around the time uh, that I got the support of some of those smaller, those companies, not smaller companies, but companies that early on kind of invested in my shooting. I started to take it extremely seriously. It wasn't probably, you know, until, uh, I, I made like master or grandmaster or so, you know, a couple of years later that I realized like, holy, this is something I could take as, as far as I want to. Okay. Was there times that you ever, you know, thought that maybe am I making the right decision? That yeah. Any- I mean, definitely there's, you know, anytime you encounter significant stagnation and development, it's, you start to wonder like, am I doing this right? Is this something that I want to continue to pursue? What was your biggest hill you had to overcome besides the one arm? Probably 2015 through 2016. You really? know, uh, yeah, because I, I got to about to be, you know, M class by by classification, probably A class by skill. Okay. And uh, it was a huge uh, struggling point to try to figure out how not to over try at matches, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you probably heard people talk yes, about before. Yes. Just feeling like you have to apply 110% of your maximum effort on every stage in order to maximize your score. Mm-hmm. It took me two whole years to figure out like you don't have to, it doesn't have to feel fast when you're doing it. You don't have to like go for broke on every stage. Right. And it took me, I went from being something like 20th to 28th or so and around 85% and made a 6% 15 to 20, I went from 22nd to third and like a 6% jump from 2016 to 2017. Wow. Just by figuring out like, hey, you can just chill out and just, you know, shoot the speed of your sights. You just trust that you're fast enough and it'll be fine. Wow. But that was a huge period where I was very frustrated and didn't know quite what to do with myself. Oh, wow. Um, then you won your first national championship. Mm-hmm. I was down in Florida, I believe, correct? Yep. And very emotional yeah. for you yeah, at that because you were in a situation where I understand now. Because you went through those hard times mm-hmm. of of the year and a half, two years of trying to break that barrier, and then became you know what you wanted to become in that in that moment. You know, take me back to that moment the next day, because the reason I asked that question, besides the hangover, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't know if you're hungover <laughs> but or not. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, but there's there's people who hit. The reason I'm asking this question, let me let me preface this, but there's people that get the gold medal. There's people that get the national championship. Mm-hmm. There's people that get where they want to be. Then they're like, what's next? Right. Take me to your day after or week after when you realized, you know, what are you, what are you going to do now? It was uh, just like I said a minute ago, when I made, when I made grandmaster, I realized this could be a serious thing. It was um, at that point, it wasn't, I didn't experience the depression that you go after you shoot your last nationals of the year or anything like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It was easily to date that were the best experience of my life in terms of how much reward and joy and satisfaction I got out of that accomplishment okay. to the point that the high of that didn't wear off for probably three months. Awesome. And it's still, when I think back on it, like it still makes me I see, giddy, I see the smile on your face. Just to think about it. I proposed <laughs> to my wife, my now wife, the three days before that match and I won the nationals. And then it was like, 
I did it. It was, you know, something I worked on for eight, eight or seven or eight years at the time that finally, right. you know, kind of came to fruition. It was, uh, it was one of the best experiences of my life. And if, luckily I still haven't hit that downslope. It's just, it still continues to be exciting to try to win time after time, at least for now. Well, you're very humble. And that's one thing, you know, well, thank you. you know, I, well, I see it and you know, I don't see, I see people at different levels and they, they try to stay humble and that that's the key because you got to keep grounded with what you do yes. to continue the same success. Cause mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it's the same thing with, you know, me selling a product A and somebody else selling product B, you got to stay focused on what got you yes. there. And that's the whole key. Do you, you know, do you push yourself harder now because the competition has changed I over mean, the past two years? Yeah. I mean, probably not literally speaking. Like I don't mm-hmm. log more hours now than I did like go prior. I would say that having one makes it easier to continue to, to excel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I, I definitely found the best <laughs> period where that exemplifies the point is back before I met my wife. It was that over trying that like wanted to prove, prove something to yourself phenomena that I was talking about is so much more intense than when it's, when shooting is the only thing you have going for mm-hmm. you, if that makes sense. And now that I've, you know, I'm married. I have a, uh, you know, a living situation that's very favorable where I'm able to train as much as I want. Mm-hmm. It means the, you know, your overall happiness in life, uh, the composition of that is, is much less reliant on doing well as shooting. It's not every match, not every training session is a immediate, uh, you know, shape shift of, of your self-worth. Right. So having won a couple now, it's a lot, makes it's a lot easier to just have fun with it. In my opinion, when you won your second one mm-hmm. and was it back to back? Yeah. Okay. It was back. That's why I'm making sure I, I don't want to assume anything because there's so much stuff going on around the shooting sports mm-hmm. now and there's cha- there's six to feels like there's a national championship every, mm-hmm. every, every six to seven times a year which is another story altogether mm-hmm. but there's a lot going on around it and so i apologize but you won back to back so mm-hmm. the second time you won it and you had was it the same kind of was it different was it just like um, you know, it, it, what, what was that like again? It, it was a little bit different. So the first okay. time uh, I wasn't on a super squad, which was a huge difference. That's I, right. You weren't because we're down in Florida. You weren't on right. the super squad. That's yeah. right. Okay. So I shot the production match. I finished like 99% and change. I had a really close. That was my best finish to date at the time. And I right. turned around, shot the limited match with, you know, a week or two of training on the 40 cal gun, really mm-hmm. no expectations at all in one. Okay. So it was a huge thing to be like, oh my goodness, even in a vacuum without really worrying about you know, how I'm doing, just kind of like relaxing and doing my thing. It's still going to go well. So going back and, and doing it on the super squad, there's a little bit more pressure for sure to be able to do well specifically at the match. Uh, and of course, you know, once you break through that and get the result you want, the, 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 uh, the reward is even more rewarding. Do you feel talking about super squads? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the best people that have performed all year long, you know, through winning area matches and everything else and winning last year's and being in a certain ranking, do you think they should be having to shoot on the super squad? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, don't, I think anyone that's been on one would be remiss to say that it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, certainly anyone that's ever been on one for a first time, they can tell you it's, it's a totally different ball of wax trying mm-hmm. to just drown out what everyone else is doing and just focus on your own thing is very difficult. Uh, so ideally, you know, I mean, we, we do it because it matters to a certain extent, right? I wouldn't even bother putting one together if it, mm-hmm. if it had no bearing at all on, on what happened. It's definitely way more pressure. It's uh, and I think most people would tell you just from a sportsman's perspective, if they feel they have a chance to win the match, they're going to want to be on the squad just to, you know, to be there and, and experience the whole thing. Do you feel it becomes another, you know, there's clicks in the shooting sports, mm-hmm. there's clicks in shooting teams. Of course. Do you feel it becomes another click of personalities that hang out together? I mean, it, it, definitely. I, I feel like I've witnessed that from the outside, mm-hmm. but uh, being on it, now consistently i haven't been off a super squad but once since 2017 right 
And uh, it's at least shooting mostly production carry optics is limited. The personalities that are involved are like are really welcoming there. You know, for the most part, everyone pretty much gets along. We're all joking around. Right. This match at the production super squad, production super squad is notoriously like a group of guys that are just hanging out, having a good time. Right. There's a oh, literally over half of the production super squad is staying in the same house, hanging out right. that we're that we're at this weekend. When when you're when you've been in the super squad like you have mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's somebody coming in who's never been on the super squad before. Do how does what does that look like? Because there's got to be like, okay, we, we've heard about this guy. Mm-hmm. We've heard about this person and now they're with us. Is, yeah. is there a lot of internal gainsmanship that goes on with a rookie? Not, in the not super from squad? me. I mean, I, I've, I'm not from you. So you see, yeah. so it's always happened then. I mean, I feel like I hear people talk about it, but okay. I mean, I haven't really witnessed that much of that okay. myself. I've definitely seen uh, you know, when you see someone that comes in new, mm-hmm. most of the time, they're not going to be the guy that's, that's, that's really like, you know, chipping away at the title, right? right. Most likely. Right. There's been some exceptions like Brantley this last year at Carry yes. Optics, his first time in the squad, and he beat me. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he shot amazing. Right. Uh, but for the most part, I think, like, especially if it's a young guy that comes in, which in a lot of cases it is, you know, people are just happy that they're there. Like, people are happy for him. They want to see someone new do well. Right. Now, you won your first title. And then you took training after that, right? Is that when you took Steger's class? But was it before or after you won? It was, um, yeah, that'd, that'd be before. It was so always I, before. Yeah. yeah, so I was involved with PSCG quite a bit up to that point, but I took uh, took his class for the first time in 2021. Okay, do you think that really helped? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was an awesome class. And uh, okay. he he focused my training and made me way more a- accountable and self-critical than I probably was before that point. And so it made me an organically better shooter going up into that next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know like the, the whether or not you know my ability to perform to my 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 own my my max potential if that makes sense probably mm-hmm. maybe didn't change that much but uh the way that he changed my training made me a better performer irrespective of how i do in relation to my because based on what i've heard and how people talk about he he sees people's opportunities yes and when he sees an opportunity if you're engaged with him he will engage back and, yes. and point it out to you to to, to where you need to be mm-hmm. so that was very helpful for you oh yeah how did you when you when you first when you first heard something that you were doing that needed, you know, addressed. How'd that make you feel? Uh, I mean, cause you've been doing this for a while. Right. So, I mean, Ben is Ben and I have, or have been on good terms for a long time mm-hmm. and we've been relatively friendly for a long time. And so people like that are like me, like other grandmaster level shooters, he's going to ride those people really hard. Okay. Uh, so as he, long as they're engaged. Oh yeah. Cause if you're not engaged, he, he can, doesn't care. He I mean, can, he, he can, doesn't he, care as much. He can read that as well. Right. And that's, and that's nothing wrong with that. Cause he won't, he, he won't people get their people, their bang for their buck exactly. and their money. Just and like that's you're talking smart. about as it's applying the psychology aspect mm-hmm. to it. You know, you, people have to be ready for the information you're presenting to them. Yeah. And he's not going to waste his breath. If you're, you know, you're all, already all frustrated and that's head, right. head up in the air. That's right. Um, but he he rode me really hard through both classes. You right. know, you basically used frustration and agitation to his advantage to make sure the lessons he gave me stuck. <laughs> when he you, was like a, like a dink coach, it, like it, just it, beating it, on and me. That, and that's good because <laughs> you know the first time that night after you got back in the mm-hmm. house and you're laying in bed and you're trying to process everything. That was motivation for you then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because there's I mean, there's nothing he's going to say that's going to make me say, ah, screw it. I'm not coming back tomorrow. Right. You know, there's any amount of abuse. I'll no, tell you, cares, as long as I'm going to get he better. He cares more about yes. you than, than, than people might not understand that. But he cares so much more about that. The shooter that's with him to grow. Yes. So that's cool. So to be able to, you know, you took his classes and hold, you know, pretty much that's one of the reasons you felt like help get you where you needed to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Yeah. No, definitely the last year and a half. And again, it's, you know, you have to, as you sort of get to 
the top of the skill curve, it becomes less and less about like, okay, how consistently can I hit a reload? How consistently can I make this shot? Mm -hmm. It's more about the very, the much more fine, you know, uh, refinement of, of skills to make it so that you're able to do things with absolute consistency, even on a complex basis. Right. That makes sense. So it's, it's, you know, it's way more about confidence and, and just sort of what you bring with you mentally to the match. Very cool. Do you, did you end up when you started doing your class, were you able to take some of the stuff you learned from him and take it over to yours as well? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, I, when I, especially when I took his class, I realized how hard I was working people. Like I used to start class at seven in the morning and wrap at like four 30. Wow. Which you, was way kinda, too much. Kind of just, but you, your your process though was getting your money's worth. Yeah, exactly. Because that 100%. way, you know, you want people to feel like you know you're paying this much money. We're gonna, you know, if you break it down by the hour, it's not that much money, right? <laughs> kind exactly. of mentality. So, on. but you started, you you changed that. Yes, I realized that. You know, I took his class and we went some amount shorter than I would have gone in one of my classes. And I was mm -hmm. smoked at the end of the day. And I realized, Oh my goodness, I've been working people way too hard, <laughs> way too hard. And I, I realized again, how to make, make your points in your, in your, uh, your assessment of, of a person and what their low hanging fruit is mm -hmm. and give them only feedback and coaching that's relevant to those things in the smallest bites possible. So they get the most out of it. Very cool. When it comes to the, the training circuit, and everything else, because everybody's got their specialties mm -hmm. of different things they do. What what is what is what is what does somebody want to take one of your classes I, on, on top of taking somebody else? What is your specialty? What do you feel you do for people? I, I wouldn't say it's any one compartment of shooting like a lot of people are. I mm -hmm. think if you ask that question to a lot of different trainers, they'd say, oh, you know, I excel at this one area of shooting and I can make someone really good at that in particular. Right. Certainly there's parts of my technique that I think are superior and I'll impart those specific things on other people. Mm -hmm. But it's mainly if you've taken a Ben class and I, I personally, I view Ben as as the apex trainer in, in the country, if okay. not the world, as far as his ability to make an on the fly assessment of someone and give the information they need. I think if you've taken a class with him and uh, and a lot of people will, uh, one thing that, that Ben is a little bit different in, in the sense that if he thinks you need to fix some aspect of your fundamental technique, he's going to make sure you fix that thing before he gives you more information. Okay. I'm a little bit more liberal about giving people the information they want, even if it's not the information they need, Makes especially sense. when you find someone that reaches that point of frustration like that. Mm -hmm. I think I'm a little bit. I would, I reluctant to say better, but I'm more free to give people, throw people a bone and say, Hey, you know, you know, maybe you can't make this predictive shooting technique happen at this distance based on your age, learning aptitude, physicality, whatever, mm -hmm. but here's some sort of an entry combination or, you know, uh, some kind of a, a stage technique that you can apply. That's more or less a trick or a gadget in your toolbox, even mm -hmm. if it's not a fundamental fix to your problem. Do you bring in people with hardly no fundamentals in the shooting sports and train them? Yeah, I mean, the, but when I just set up a class, it's there's a train a, a class organizer that puts together the class, and they're fine in the pool. I had a guy in a class that they someone found on Reddit. But to wow. my knowledge, had never shot a match or, you know, around other people before. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, yeah, he's, he's fine. He's good to come in. As long as you're safe, you know how to safely handle a gun. It's going to be all pretty much the same. Wow. How did that person come in with no experience like that, though? Were they, did they feel like they were slowing the class down or they feel or how did how do you handle that? Because that's, I would feel if I came to your class having no experience besides drawing for myself from a holster just for self-protection i would feel very like i don't need to I, i'm gonna do a private class <laughs> i'll pay more money just not to bother other right. people so yeah i mean that's definitely a thing that's one of the harder parts of, of of being an instructor is you know rectifying or diverse needs of a very diverse skill diverse group mm -hmm. and there's to some extent you can make it happen really well but if someone is the dustiest person at shooting by 10 10 to 15 percent that's going to be obvious right and you know you give them advice that's relevant to them like hey you know if someone is is declassed by classification and skills it's going to be basically stop looking at the site on every transition and you know get your firing hand clamped off the gun 
pretty much the whole time. And, you know, you try to intersperse other small tips so they could be helpful to that person. But the most important thing is going to be fundamentals. Cool. Where did Kaylee fit in all this when you got started? She, so. Uh, so she was actually instrumental in even getting me to start the company. Really? So she's a farrier. She's a horseshoer. Okay. Uh, in the New England area. And so she has had her own business for two or three years before we met. Okay. And uh, she was one of the pr- people that made me realize it was even a real option. I mean, both my parents were in public service their whole lives. Right. So they're the whole concept of starting a business to them was like way scary. Like yeah. that's, that's like, not even an option. Service. We do classes for free. <laughs> yeah. Go figure it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what do you mean you don't have benefits? You know, exactly. it wasn't, wasn't even uh, on their radar. So her and her family are also entrepreneurs. And that was a uh, part of the push to get me to even do it. But uh, nice. once we kind of got got along, you know, she started I got her into shooting at the time I, we, that we met or mm-hmm. very shortly thereafter. And uh, now that she started to get better and better, you know, she travels with me to classes and there's a lot of things that she can be super helpful for just for the sense that she's probably master class by skills, a by classification now. And so she's gone through these same lessons I'm trying to part on and part on people, you know, much more recently than I have. Now, you got her. You said you got her shooting. Yes. She'd never been shooting before. I mean, again, she, her family is, was always interested in firearms and stuff, oh, but okay. uh, the, the okay. competing aspect. No, she's, we got her into what her family think about that. They, th- they love it. I mean, they, they think it's cool as hell. <laughs> That's so cool. Was there, so what, what, what were you doing for a living before you started teaching? Was there, you know, was it just college still and yeah. just kind of getting all through that? So. More or less, you know, working jobs. I worked at a local PD where I cleaned cars and okay. you know, fixed parking meters and did whatever maintenance stuff they wanted me to do. Right. So when it came to like, Letting the benefits go, letting mm-hmm. the insurance go. Right. That was not a concern. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I, I'm still in a position where, like, I'm so broke, I could go completely <laughs> flat, like, under a bridge broke and start over and it wouldn't matter. So I, I'm, I'm making it happen. That's awesome. Now that it takes that. If you're not willing to lose everything, then I tell people don't start a business. Yep. Because you have to be, you have to put everything into it and lose everything. Absolutely. And, and if you don't have that mindset, and it's a weird mindset, you know, well, I don't lose everything. Well, then, then, you know, when I went to Sherry about what I was going to do, you know, she had a business that was established, but I'm willing to put it out there if you're willing mm-hmm. to invest the money. And she did. Yep. That's where I'm at. Cause I was like, well, if, if not, we'll figure it out. Look at you now. I know. Who would have known? But yeah, I knew it, but I just didn't know how I was going to get there. Mm-hmm. But you're in the same bucket now because now you're in a situation where you are married. Mm-hmm. You are in a situation. Is she, does she still work or she work just do yeah. what you do? Yeah, no, she's still doing the farrier thing. She okay. loves it. And she's great at it. That's so cool. So, what is that exactly? Just shoe shoeing horses. Really? So you know, the horses got to get trimmed. You know, every six to eight weeks. A lot right. of horses need shoes just to be comfortable. Does she travel for that, or is it they bring stuff to her? It's a it's it's a localized business. They started out, you know, traveling up to an hour in any direction, and she's gotten a more better better client base. Whittled it down, so she's only got to travel 20, 30 minutes in any direction from home. That's so cool. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the that's kind of the you know the we'll call it a safety net in some ways to yes. put food on the table at least. Yeah, and I help her out <laughs> with it all the time. So you oh, know, do you I, really? Yep. Now, were you yeah. ever around horses? No, not not prior to when we met. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how, how was that for your first time when you get that? Uh, I didn't like horses. When we met. Well, I, well I've, 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 I've talked to people on other podcasts yeah. and they could be mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they've, they've got a personality all their own. Right. right. If they don't like you or they think you're a chump, like you're a newbie, they're going to exploit you. <laughs> Did you get, you've been yeah. kicked or bit or anything? I, I've been bit all kinds of times. I've never been really? kicked. Yeah. Ugh. You just punch them. They're fine. <laughs> just punch them. <laughs> they, they're very responsive to, uh, to physical cues. <laughs> well, that's good. you got to break a horse. Yeah. I get it. They, they got to train them. But mm-hmm. that's, um, yeah, I don't, I still don't like horses. I don't, make me nervous i don't yeah. think I, I mean not that i don't dislike them it's just that's your thing what's and, scary about them is they're so smart you know they take one look at you and they can tell if you're green or not they they'll they'll exploit you if they can really yeah <laughs> they, they, you know the other thing is they're smart they're smart the same way a dog is but they don't right? they don't they don't have the desire to please you like a dog does 
You know what I mean? Like they're yeah, just dude, they're content. A, do- a dog needs attention. Yes, yeah, they it, want the attention. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But a horse isn't like that at all. Not at all. <laughs> all. Do you ride horses? No, never. <laughs> Been on one like twice in my life. I get, I get all my horsing around done. Because there's like a, there's horses. a shooting sport where you actually ride and shoot balloons mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, Kay has a couple clients that do it. It's pretty cool. No interest to you at all. No, not particularly. <laughs> hey, you put some businesses together. Who knows? But I don't know. So what is what's next? You know, you got a lot of things going on. You're very vocal in a way with, you know, for the future of USPSA. And, we're, and that's, a, that's an exciting thing because a lot of people are getting involved now mm-hmm. that weren't involved, involved before. Yes. And do you see yourself getting more involved with USPSA? Yeah, I mean, deep in the future. Like right now, I'm like, this is the shooting and the teaching thing is the first real career I've had as an adult, to be honest. So I'm, I'm 25. So it's, yeah. this is, I don't have the life experience that I feel really makes me a relevant, uh, you know, performer in, in the formalized, uh, leadership of right. the organization. Like I have a lot of good ideas, but I don't think that's what makes someone a good area director or president, whatever. No, I get it. And, and I've seen a lot of changes myself and I, and I see a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people coming in with, yes. with experience and, and some experience more than others, as far as businesses and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm excited about the future. Mm-hmm. It's just going to take some time, you know, to figure out where that's at. I completely agree. And I, w- so. I was a lot more vocal in the past when I felt that the that light was much more faint. And as mm-hmm. I see it get brighter and brighter, I take a more and more backseat approach. Do you think that um, approach in the very beginning, would you, if you had to do it over again, would you, would you be just as vocal or would you think you'd take a different approach to it? I mean, I probably, I can think of times when I probably would have kept my cool a little bit more. Okay. And <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. You I know, get it. But no, uh, I yeah, it. you know, I, I, I feel bad. It, anytime someone puts a considerable amount of effort and they take pride in what they do, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be the guy that's going to trash that no matter right. what, even if they're doing a crap job, you know, trying their best. And uh, so I can think of times that I would have taken a lot easier in those situations. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously there's problems we still got that we got to sort out. So. Yeah, there is, but there's a lot of people. I think, you know, the votes are coming up with different people. There's different mm-hmm. people coming in from different areas that are going to be um, highlighted to an area that, you know, where they can do things they, yes. you know, could do, but it takes more than one person. Absolutely. Had that conversation with other people that were running for stuff before and got in, they realized they can't do it by themselves. That's so right. They've got to have patience and they yeah. got to have the tact to be able to do that. So, Absolutely. So in the future, do you, you, do you see the USPSA being something down the road when you are ordered to be a part of that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Awesome. Uh, I think once I have more to bring to the table, then for sure. Right. You know, it's I, Right now, I just don't see myself as a really huge value add for what we're trying to do. Well, you're doing a lot of training, though, mm-hmm. and you're training people to shoot USPSA. Yep. So you're definitely bringing people to the sport for that reason to help grow the sport. I, yeah, so. I like to think that I'm growing the sport in the sense that, you know, make anyone that wants to take it seriously and get as good as they can, that's an extremely valuable part of what we do. I mean, the whole right. point of this is in the, it's like in the first page of the rules, it's to promote excellence and competition. So if, right. the more excellent you can make someone. I know because you, you're going to be in a situation <laughs> at some point where you're going to train people at different levels and you're going to watch them win that national championship. I hope so. And when that happens, that's going to be your next yes. aha moment. Yeah, I can't, I can't <laughs> wait. I'm sure it looks coming eventually. Very cool. So with everything going on with um, the economy and everything changing with prices being higher here, inflation, everything we got going on, do you, you know, has that been a struggle to get people to come take classes? Absolutely. Uh, Like I mentioned, you know, I chose a really bad time to get started and uh, Mm -hmm. just getting. So like I mentioned, for the most part, if I'm setting up a class that takes an organizer in an area that wants to make it happen, it's going to get all the logistics done. Otherwise, it's just not feasible. So, you know, I don't have the time to negotiate with people I don't know at clubs and, you know, what have you organize logistics for all of that. Right. Someone has to take the, take the bull by the horns in that department. So just getting those sorts of people has been a really tall order in the beginning. 
uh, started to go better and better in terms of like networking with more and more people and getting more folks that are aware of what I do to start with right. that want to, you know, take classes. But yeah, I mean, the primer situation, I'm sure you're, you're no stranger yes. to it. It's been really tough. A lot of people are that have ammo don't want to spend it. And uh, in a lot of cases, you know, once primers get to be a hundred dollars a brick, which that's about where we are these yep. days, you know, if there's some people that are going to buy that even for $300 a brick, mm -hmm. myself included, right. but that's a very, very small portion of the people that are taking classes Do just you, by basic statistics. You know, it's a normal distribution of uh, price sensitivity. Yep. And with all the, you know, with limited and everything being where it's at and carry optics being where it's at now, you know, it's, it's usually just buy stuff over the counter, not have to reload as much anyway. Yeah. Yeah. If you're lucky. And that's one of the, do you still reload your carry optics gun and stuff like that as yeah, well? Yeah, I have to. Okay. I have favorable deals with some reloading companies that make that worth doing for me. Oh, very cool. Mm -hmm. do, through the sponsorships you have, you know, have you been, in, is, you think that's the, you know, been fortunate enough to help make that career where it's at too? Yeah. I mean, that's a huge part of it. I mean, I, it's perhaps some not insignificant portion of my income comes from various sponsorships. And I mean, that makes it much cheaper, if not freer for me to, uh, to be involved with training to the level that I want to do. See, I couldn't make it happen without them. Right. What's next? I don't know, man. More and more matches. I'm going to world shooting three or four weeks now. So that's yeah. a big, that's going to be a big deal. Like Brian said, I, if you're listening now, I already won. Apparently. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, a lot of pressure. I, no, huh? it, no, it's, it's, <laughs> well, you won as a team. I don't know how individuals are upset, right, but I know, I know the team's bringing it home. Pressure's There's no off. doubt in my mind. But are you in a situation where traveling, are you anxious right now? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty antsy. Everyone's saying that the, the floor is going to fall out of the economy about any day now. All right. And, uh, you know, my, 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 the way I have my money set up and my career set up is not going to be conducive for that. Do you, you know, this, you know, going out of the country, mm -hmm. have you done that before shooting? Yeah. Yeah. I shot world shoot in 2017, been to check a couple of times for some matches. Okay. So this is not being able to travel this distance is nothing that's got you it's, nervous. No, not particularly. I haven't been to Asia at all, let alone for okay. shooting. So that's going to be something new, but you know, it's all, it's all travel. It's just kind of like the honeymoon as well for everything Kinda, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're looking cool. forward to it. i don't know how much time we're gonna have but that'll be nice are to you, spend are some you, time you taking some extra time are you, are you going with other people and staying all together kind yes. of to be able to afford everything yeah the rental houses there are very favorable so we're going to get a house with all our guys that are here at the match and we're going to hang out there very cool kaylee's going as well yes that's she, awesome. she recently got a slot to be on one of the production optics did she really yeah so she's very excited. holy cow mm -hmm. that's amazing they're going to bring home gold too yes. it. they're going to it's going to be amazing for mm -hmm. everybody I, there's no doubt in my mind everybody's going to it's going to be just a huge party mm -hmm. of a situation for I'm situations so so we got you know so much has been happening so pretty fast for you mm -hmm. have you you know you made a career out of this so you really didn't had time to breathe and take it in have you no <laughs> I'm not looking at your face like no. I'm not stopping to look around. I'm just going to keep doing it as long as it works. I'm going to keep doing it because nobody's getting rich doing this. No, but it supports our lifestyle, mm -hmm. including myself. I mean, I'm, I'm putting every money I get back into it to develop more and, and buy more equipment because Sherry is like, well, well, I'm not figure it out. You yeah. got, you, you've got income coming in now. It's going back into it. And I'm like, yep. I'm fine with that. So when do we, you know, we because I'm in the same boat. When do we look back and say? we can take a break. I don't, and is this a hustling situation where we just have to keep hustling? I, I don't know, man. It's one of those deals where with the economic situation being what it is, I, I think it's going to be a, a beg, borrow, steal scrape for, for, a, for at least some period of time in the somewhat immediate future. Right. And I mean, the, the training gig for me is like, if I don't go teach classes, I ain't making money. That's right. So That's it's right. uh, I'm, I'm enjoying building it up more and more. Hopefully it continues to sustain and be uh, be workable for as long as possible. Where's the furthest you've traveled in the United States so far? California. You go to, oh, you're going all the way yeah, to the side. I've been to California for a class or two. Going to Norway in this next year, which is going to be very exciting. Going out of the country to do it? Yeah. 
Oh, my Lord. I'm very excited for that. Very congratulations. Thank man. you. <laughs> Hope they get some clients in Thailand, too. Yes. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> yes. That'd be awesome. So the world stage is is kind of the whole thing to, mm-hmm. you know, just elevate to a different level. Mm-hmm. Have you, you know, there's there's groups that get together, you know, and, and do training summits and stuff like that. Have mm-hmm. you been invited to do a summit as well? Yeah. The uh, the second PSDG training summit I went to, and it was an awesome opportunity. I wanted to go again this year just to have a conflict with another event. Right. Cool. So working with trainers... And other, and that's kind of the, you know, working with other training companies, mm-hmm. networking, that just an easy way to kind of work together. Yes, absolutely. I would, I would come into it thinking, well, the, you know, there's competition here, there's competition there, but there's still a great pool of people to right. pull from. Yes. So that's cool. Yep. Well, man, wh- what did we leave off? Where, where, you know, anything we haven't discussed? Cause there's so much going on. I mean, cause I, I watched when you came in all of a sudden, when I saw, you know, I was, I was just coming in, but just like I said, just, just it never stopped. It was yep. just constant, 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 and it's yep. just you know, it, yeah, man. It, that's that's it. Yeah, man. We're, <laughs> we're doing it. We're still doing it. I'm still enjoying the hell out of it. So are you really? Yeah, I'm. I'm training, training left and right. You know, going to matches, doing right. training things. So it's, has, it's has there, enjoyable. Has there been times that you may have thought with everything going on with the drama with all around the shooting sports, were you, were you nervous because of that? Because oh my god, yeah, I still am. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen at the I, end of the at the end of the day. Like we talked about, there's light light at the end of the tunnel, as you discussed, but. We don't know what's going to happen. The ramifications for you know anyone other than yourself are not are kind of out of your hands, right? So yeah, you know we'll see we'll see what happens. You know I don't think practical shooting as a discipline is ever going to die, right? Do you, you train people that do IDPA as well? Yeah, I'll train anybody. I mean, I've done agency work before too. I, really, really? I enjoy that a lot. Very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, good deal. How how can people get in touch with you if they want to set up a training class or you know sponsor a training class? Uh, email me at Mason Lane or. MasonLane.lsat at gmail.com. If I can remember my own, my own email address. Or uh, Mason Lane Shooting on Facebook or Instagram. Okay, good deal. Have you, have you had any problem promoting your shooting training on Instagram or social media? No, not yet. I mean, okay. it's, it seems like it's a matter of time, though. People are getting dinged left and right. Well, it, it, they are, but you just got to be, you know, just careful in how you post certain things. Right. And training I try to, is training. Yeah, I so. try to be make it seem like it's a person's Facebook account by posting very intermittently, you know, with regular non-shooting related stuff. With your dad being where he was, are you able to help train local police departments sometimes? I haven't gotten any of those opportunities yet with local PDs. I would love to. I've done, a, actually, that's not 100% true. I did a, a, a training gig for Manchester PD has an actual shooting team mm-hmm. uh, where they had some of their instructors come out. We did some training and we're looking at doing more and more of that. Well, it seems uh, like getting some low hanging fruit yeah, based on your dad's, you know, mm-hmm. you know, making phone calls to the other chief of police. <laughs> Dad, just call yep. them and see if they need training. That's yeah. what I'm here for. So mm-hmm. some low hanging, I would, I would call that low hanging fruit to get, you know, into the next big class came mm-hmm. up. So that's kind of cool. Well, sweet. Well, man, I'm excited for you. Um, Thank you. Uh, congratulations on all the stuff you accomplished at the world shoot. I'm I'm so proud of you. Well, thank <laughs> we'll you. Talk about the future again because when this releases, it'll be after that moment. But I'm I, there's no doubt in my mind that the world with the shoot was an amazing experience for you and everything else. Do you see yourself shooting more disciplines or less disciplines in the future? I would like to do uh, diversify a little bit. Okay. I would like to get into doing Bianchi Cup. Phil Strader is one of my yes. great coaches and friends, and he always shoots used to shoot Bianchi Cup all the time back when it was you know 
I hate to say a bigger deal, but it used to yeah. be like anyone that shot USPSA was also involved in that. Yeah. And he shot a lot. I would like to try that. I think it'd be good for me. Wow. But Very I don't know cool. if that, I don't know when that's going to happen. I got to find time to make it happen. <laughs> well, I'm sure there'll be people there to help you get there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Mason, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I wanted, you, just man. wanted to discuss some things and I, I didn't know how you got started and everything else. Cause like I said, it all just happened so fast. But mm-hmm. if you have any questions for Mason or anything else that we didn't talk about today, you know, just email me at info at huntershdgold.com. I've been getting a lot of emails from everybody with feedback and thank you so much for all the emails i get those straight to the shooters when i get them but any questions feel free to reach out to me um give it a like a share a five-star review whatever you can do to help promote hunters hd gold behind the lens and until next time we'll see you at the range soon thanks mason thank you